So today we have in the studio with us Kira Fini from Athora. Kira, welcome. Hi, how are you, Listen, Not so bad. So Kira, would you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are and where you're working at the moment? Um, yeah, okay. So my name is Kira Fini. I am the group CISO for Athora. Um, Athora is a relatively new reinsurance organization or insurance organization um, and I joined the organization about 12 actually nearly spot on 12 months ago at this stage yeah. um, prior to that I worked in the security team in Primark um, I had a number of roles in there prior um, to the final one and then before that I worked in the telco industry. Wow so it's been quite a diverse range you know it's really interesting because a lot of times when I speak to people even some of my past speakers they've been in the same industry let's say financial services you're always in there but you've moved from telco to retail to financial services yeah it's been an interesting journey now to be honest I actually started out when I say telco Mm -hmm. I started out working in BT um, up in Belfast where I'm from um, on a three-month summer contract that my friend's mother had gotten me because I just finished university. I actually have a law degree um, and was doing, was looking into to doing um, my bar exams and actually did my New York bar exam whilst I was working. But um, going from that three month contract, I worked on the business kind of help desk and um, call center. Um, but from that got, um, I guess, involved in the business, got to know some of the business teams An opportunity came up at that time. Um, and I took it on so it was I, I nearly fell into it by accident if I'm honest which I think is by accident is maybe the wrong word as I moved through my career but I guess I've kind of had that approach the whole way through from then until now it's about taking the opportunities making the most of them and then as opportunities present themselves being open to I guess exploring those hence I guess, my journey. Well, from law degree to information security, they're not too different because I think today in this sort of industry, I, I look at it as both functions work hand in hand. How do you think your law degree has helped you in your career or even at the start of the career? Yeah, so so you're right, actually. Where I've ended up, there there's definitely a synergy between my legal background and the skills that I developed during that time and, and with those qualifications. But if I if I think back to how I started my career, I actually worked in sales for a couple of years um, and then moved into the engineering teams doing um, managing the core planning teams um, for BT, which there was very few synergies between the two. I think how it helped at that stage was it helped me stand out, if I'm honest, from some of the other candidates. So that's always a good thing. Um, people remember who you are. It was it was always a talking point in some of my interviews, and to be honest, still would be to this day, even for my most recent um, role, it was asked about. So I think it, it it helped show a different side to me, and because it's I guess it's one of the more traditional degrees, it's always seen as a solid degree. Um, I, I think a lot of employers now recognise the transferability of the skills that you would learn within the degree. So, you know, the problem solving and different things. Um, But actually, it's probably only since I really moved into security that those synergies have have come around. Like, it's probably come full circle. Um, So, yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, you started with a three-month contract and ended up eight years with the company. Is that right? Yeah, it was eight years. How did that happen? Um, so, like I say, I started out um, on the help desk. Mm. I worked really hard, um, as as I think anybody does. I had I had a strong work ethic. Um, I knew I was only there for three months. Probably helped the fact it was my friend's mother helped me get the job, so I didn't <laughs> want to let her down either. Um, but yeah, I just worked hard, and then because of that, when when job when when a job came up. Um, I wouldn't say I had a shoe in. Like I obviously had to do an interview, and and there were other candidates, but. I had demonstrated the work ethic that I had, my ability to learn, um, my ability, like I was flexible to, to help with the business. So I, I'd kind of proven myself when it was just a temporary contract as opposed to having any kind of long-term view on it. Um, so that was just the job came up at the time and, and I went for it and I, I was successful. I still didn't think I would be there for another 
seven and a half years, whatever, whatever it was, close to eight years. Um, but what happened then was, and again, I, I want to say I was lucky. I, I'd like to think I played a bit of a part in it, but a lot of it comes down to luck too and, and being in the right place at the right time. But like BT was obviously such a big organization. They had a lot of programs in place. They had a lot of leadership programs in place. And, and as those courses came up and were advertised or I was seeking them out, I, I tried to like my soft skills, but also business skills and, you know, using the technology. Like I just tried to make the time. And, you know, sometimes that meant that you had to work longer hours or you had to give up your weekends and, um, to make sure that you didn't fall behind in your work. But it, like I utilized the the base that they had and they allowed me to do that as well like there was a lot of investment and then I remember at one point there was a an aspiring leaders program that came up within BT that that I went for and I was lucky enough to be on it um, and a lot of the people that were on that I worked at sales at that time and um, a lot of the people that were on that course were all in the engineering department um, and I got to know them we worked together like we were on that course for about was it eight or twelve months I can't remember at this stage it was so long ago we went through a lot of activities getting to know each other understanding the different parts of the organization and at that point I thought god you know, I'm really interested in moving into that side of BT rather than staying in sales. So I, um, I spoke to people within the engineering department. Again, a role came up. I applied for it and I was successful. And I guess it's like everything you have to make a bit of a sacrifice. So at that stage, I was lucky enough to be much younger than I am now. Um, so I didn't have a mortgage. You know, the financial commitments were, were minimal. Um, what I required for my disposable income was mostly down to my own entertainment at that stage. But. I had to take a pay cut because obviously when you're working in sales and, and that was difficult at the time because mm-hmm. it was significant. Um, but for myself, I kind of knew this is the right way to, to go getting into a management position. And then again, I, I got to work with, with teams of people that were maybe a lot more experienced than I had been, had been in the organization for a really long time. I got a lot of exposure to industrial relations kind of activities and just like that wouldn't have been something I ever would have been familiar with. And anyone that's dealt with challenges in that space um, knows that, you know, that's really great foundational kind of learning. Um, and yeah, it just, it went from there. So because of the training and my ability to kind of move completely switch from like a sales role to a network role and then opportunities came up within that for promotions and so I guess after eight years I I was kind of sitting at one point and, and I was looking around me and there was a lot of people that had been there for maybe 20 years and I thought you know I'm really comfortable here and I'm not sure I haven't worked anywhere else like I came out of university I hadn't worked like I'd worked in uni, but it wasn't a you know professional career or whatever. And I just looked around and I thought, I, I'm not sure I want to be here in 20 years. I had a really solid reputation and um, people knew me around the business. I'd been on different talent pools, so it wasn't an easy decision. But I did think at that point, you know, eight years is it, it's time to, to go out and see other businesses and um, learn different skills, I guess, and challenge myself. And before we move on to talking about the next role or your thought process when you were making that move, sales to engineering, yeah, that is really interesting because the sales that you were doing wasn't even pre-sales, the technical sales, right? Not at all, no. Yeah, and so I know it was part. You still did the whole interview, etc. But I think it's important to bring home the point that. Especially when you're working for a company, if there are internal opportunities, you have to put yourself out there. You have to be visible, be seen, and network with those people. You said you met the engineering team during a aspiring leaders yeah. training, right? And do you think that particular sort of training and the opportunity to meet them was what helped you to make that move into Oh, yeah, absolutely. So previously, I would have um, been looking at roles and kind of thinking, oh, I want to get into management and um, but would never ever have had the confidence to say, actually, I don't have any real experience in this area um, and just apply for it. Right. So speaking to the people doing the jobs was the first thing and knowing from them, because often people will say to you, but, you know, you don't need to know how to do that or 
you know, you just, it's actually the, the leadership skills and the management skills that are important rather than the understanding how specifically to carry out a certain task. Um, so definitely give me the confidence to do it. Um, but I also got some great advice around, you know, if you do want to move, it's not about a job coming up and then that week saying, oh, I'm going to apply for this job. It's actually what you're doing the 12 months before that. It's looking at those jobs and understanding okay, who are the people I need to speak to? Who are the people that I'm comfortable speaking to? Because you're not always going to be, it's about finding someone that you can be open and honest with and about talking to them actually about the concerns you have as opposed to kind of telling them all the things that you're good at um, so that they can help you build um, your confidence in the areas where you think there might be gaps. Um, But it's also going through the job descriptions and, and looking at what skills the the employer is looking for and spending those months depending on where you are and where you want to go to to actually build up the the proper skill set and the skill set that they're looking for so um you do need to plan mm-hmm. so as much as i say about getting a bit lucky I, th- I can't even remember the phrase but what is it <laughs> the harder you work the luckier you get sometimes yeah. so it's just about putting yourself in that position before the opportunity actually comes up and here with Morgan McKinley, we have a saying that you have to do the job before you get the job. Yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, when you were at your height of your career with BT, eight years there, mm-hmm. you had moved successfully from sales to engineering. When it came time to make that move, do you remember what you felt? Um. It feels like so long ago now. Mm. Um, I think when I had made the decision to go, right, so when in my head I decided it was time to go, it took it took a while to get the right job then, right? Um, and so by the time I left, I was ready to go mm-hmm. because I had been there for, for such a long time. Now, that hasn't been the same with every job I've left, but by the time, because I had... I was okay with it in my own head because I was ready to go and I'd already made that decision by the time I got another role and moved on. It actually was less emotional than I I thought it was going to be. I guess the difficulty was making that decision at the time to say enough is, you know, I've been here for long enough. If I don't go, I'll never go. Um, And then obviously my thought process was I think I'll regret never going more than going. Mm-hmm. So I was probably comfortable with it at that mm-hmm. stage. But that's easy to say now a number of years down the line. But it's interesting because I do talk to candidates who've been in their company for eight, ten years, some of them even longer. And people do want to move, you know, but I think there's always a certain amount of fear whether you're moving companies or moving countries like I did, or even just moving departments, you know, there's always that fear because people are so comfortable. And you've talked about being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Do you want to touch on that a little bit more? Um, yeah, so I guess, so it took me a while. Um, like I've, I've done well in the last number of years, but um, I wasn't, I was never a terribly confident person. You know, I worked hard Um I got promotions and I, I kind of got to a certain level, but I never really wanted to be the person presenting or if I was sitting around a table, you know, with lots of senior people, I would have kind of held back and then someone else would ask the question or make the statement. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, that's what I was going to say. But I thought I might sound stupid or I didn't, you know, I didn't want people to be looking at me. Um, and it it has been in the last four or five years now, to be honest, and, and maybe not even as much as that, where I actually discovered I, I need, you just need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. So if like I, the podcast was a thing, something I've never done before. Mm-hmm. And, and again, was thinking, oh, I'm not sure. Um, I'm presenting at something in a few months as well. And whilst I find them uncomfortable without doing those, your career doesn't progress. Right. So. I guess I have become comfortable with being uncomfortable and it's about knowing how far to stretch yourself, I think, and and how far to let that uncomfortability kind of go through. But everybody has it. Like some people, I meet some people and I think, God, this person is oozing with confidence. You know, they're open to do anything. 
And when you actually get to know them, everybody has parts that they're they're not comfortable with. And I know we talk about faking it and all the rest of it, but I don't even believe that. I think knowing my personality, I will always be uncomfortable doing certain things, mm-hmm. right? I will always be uncomfortable standing in front of a room for people presenting. But I now know how to deal with that and how to reduce that uncomfortability as much as possible and how I prepare and, you know, those types of things, yeah. just how you manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, but until whatever the last, what I say, five years probably was three or four years. Before that, I kind of in my head thought, oh, this will go. You know, suddenly I'll just be comfortable with all of these things. And when I do, I'll do it. So I never really did the things that I should have been doing. Um, So if I was telling anybody, yeah, that would be it. Understand that you will probably never be comfortable with certain things. You just need to, to acknowledge that, find a way to deal with it and then just be comfortable with knowing that you're going to to feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Was there a turning point? Because you said that, you know, it was up until three to four years ago that you started feeling comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable. And even like for myself, the idea of doing a podcast six months ago, I wouldn't imagine sitting yeah. down <laughs> doing this. Was there a particular point in your career? So I think... Uh, Probably back when I worked for Primark, so Penny's here in Ireland, um, the role, well, the company previous to that, I worked for a couple of different people that were, they would call mentors or, or certainly people that I kind of learn a lot from, you know, and, and in different ways. One really supported me and kind of gave me a bit of confidence to go for different jobs. And the other it was just watching how they conducted themselves, how they got things done, the confidence that they had. Um, and I watched and I learned and I worked with those people and then I moved into to Primark and um, when I got comfortable there I guess I don't know was it the environment was it the people that I was working with but I grew in confidence in myself and I would have worked on different things with HR PNC as, as it would have been called um, and it just allowed me to, was it a safe environment? I'm not really sure how to put it, but certainly it was around that time where I really started to grow in my confidence, um, started to get promoted, started to to see the possibility and kind of push for it myself a little bit. Um, I'm just trying to think if I could pinpoint a single single thing, and, and I don't think it is. I, I was lucky in that role that I was working with some, like I made some really good friendships, but it was a safe environment. Um, there were opportunities to progress. I got involved in the business itself, you know, got to know people. And maybe that's what gave me the confidence personally to push myself. You know, maybe it was just I was more, it was maybe felt like a safer environment. I don't really know. What do you mean by safe? Well, I guess um, within that environment, I would have been working with what I would have classed as friends. So people that I that I trusted a, a lot. There was a culture that encouraged the getting to know, um, you know, getting to know your colleagues mm-hmm. and um, kind of working with each other and it not being hierarchical. So I think maybe that just helped, like I say, created a safe environment sure. for me to... Absolutely. I, I think it's so important. Mm. Like people probably don't realize just how important it is to work with the right group of people and that's not just because it's work because we spend so much time over there that you're forging friendships absolutely you know and and like you said when it becomes a safe environment where you know you can trust as people rely on them you i i almost feel like people are more willing to take risk yeah, because yeah. you know people are there kind of, yeah. and not that in other places they're not encouraging yeah. you, but you know, like coming back to that point of being able mm. to have an open conversation and get like actual, you know, real feedback and mm. trust the feedback that you're getting. Um, and I'm a believer in feedback. I think we need, we all need to get it mm-hmm. and we need to give it. And I, there's ways you can do that. Um, but being able to get that open and honest feedback from people is the only way to really move forward. But definitely it was from... From that point, when I started taking part in more activities, I started pushing myself to do things that I wasn't comfortable with. Like I remember once doing a presentation and it like it wasn't a, a massive amount of people, but it was to our department, right? So it probably would have been easier if it was to a completely different department that nobody knew who you were, do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like I practiced and practiced 
Um, if anyone hears this now, I'd be embarrassed. But then I got up and, and I spoke and I thought when it finished and I cringed, I kind of thought, mm. oh, that was terrible. And then afterwards, a couple of people spoke to me and said, oh, no, like that was really good. And I thought, like you came across really confident. And I was like, well, I didn't feel it, <laughs> you know. But you I didn't practiced. say that to them. But yeah, oh, no, I practiced. So um, I haven't practiced this because mm-hmm. it's different. <laughs> but yeah, no, I practiced. Um yeah. Yeah, so... As you're talking about that, I relate it to myself. So we, at work, we do something called Speak Easy. Mm-hmm. And it's it happens every second Friday of the month. And we just have, you know, a topic for the month. It could be anything. Like, earlier today, we had a topic called Fight or Flight. So you just... You know, you can interpret this topic any way you want. Mm -hmm. Three speakers, they get up and talk about something that they've prepared. It could be something that happened to them personally or just an experience that they've heard from someone else. And so one day I got up to speak about something. I almost wanted to change my speech at the start of the day, but I decided, you know what, I don't have time. I'm just going to power through. And I was nervous as well. Like, I don't think I knew or remembered what I was talking about. Yeah. But after that, everyone came over and said, yeah, you know, that was actually really good. I really enjoyed that story and whatever. And I'm like, really? You know, yeah. I think it's just the whole idea of your inner critic. We're always overly critical of ourselves. Whereas people will give us more credit than we do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, what is it they say? Speak to yourself like you would speak to somebody else. Mm. Do you know that kind of way? I love that. Yeah. So like if it was somebody else that you were speaking to and what they did, like, um, yeah, we can be very critical and and we have to find a way to manage that. And like, I would be a fan of Sheryl Sandberg. Um, oh, lean in. Yeah, mm. and um, it took me a while to read the book because I would have been cynical. Um, and I read the book, and and I'll be honest, like a a part of the book is very much focused on uh, women with children and stuff, and I don't have kids, so I I struggled to relate to it. But it was interesting. But the rest of it, when I was reading through, it's um, like the whole imposter syndrome and sitting at the table and all of those things, like. We all feel it. Um, and I don't think it's just women. Mm-hmm. I think men maybe hide it a little better. Um, and it's not all women and it's not all men. Um, so I think I think it's good advice for everybody. Like you're going to be, we're all critical of ourselves. We all don't want to be the person sticking up our hand, asking the question. You just need to, you just need to find a way to, to par through it. And if that's creating a safe environment that allows you to do that, because the more you do it, the more the easier it becomes, right? It's never going to be easy and you're never going to be, free. well, you may or may not, certainly for me, they'll be, think there'll be certain things that I will always just be uncomfortable with, but I'll be able to manage it and deal with it and kind of get used to that feeling. It comes um, with experience. Yeah, exactly. And Primark, it was one of the roles or environment where, you know, you, you said it was a safe environment. You really got to utilize a lot of the things that you learned throughout the course of your career. So when it came time to move, how did that decision come about? And it must have been really hard. That was a difficult decision. Um, it was, so like I say, but over a year ago now, I'm in my job, um, the role I'm in at the moment, a year ago. And and really what happened was I there was an opportunity, right, um, to move to Thora. It was exciting. It's, it was a promotion. So I, I wasn't working as a as a CISO. Um, Thora, there was... You know, there's a lot of merger and acquisition activity going on. Um, there was a lot of potential. Uh, you know, there was a similar model in the States and I, and I saw how that had worked. The fact that it was in the financial services industry, which I hadn't been in, and, and particularly in in this, like in a security kind of role, financial services would definitely be one of the, like it, it, it's a fabulous one to have on the CV. You know, it's kind of the, the area to be in. So... And there wasn't the, the opportunity where I was, right? So, and and this is another piece of advice that I gave. Like we we always say, don't move for money, and I, I wouldn't suggest that you do. But equally, for me, it's not about staying in a role just because you love the company, and um, because actually, if you want to progress and you want to move on, it is also about taking that progression and taking hold of opportunities and. If one does, pres- and, and like there's lots of reasons why you weigh these things up and, you know, up and down and make a decision. But for me, it was definitely, it wasn't right to just stay because 
I really enjoyed the company and the people that I worked with because ultimately then you'd end up resenting, right? If if I hadn't have taken the opportunity for the promotion that had presented itself, I would have ended up probably resenting the company to an extent and because the, an opportunity may never have come up to move move forward in this field, right? So um, yeah, it was it was a difficult decision and it wasn't something that I took lightly and I wouldn't have gone to just any company because like I say, Athora was just so different. Um, I had met what turned out to be my manager and, and some of the management team and, and it was quite a diverse team and still kind of had that fun side of it too. So I kind of felt, well, actually I'll be able to, to build it again. I've done it a few times now at this stage. So it wasn't just jumping into any promotion. So it wasn't just to see so anywhere. Um, it, it was the right, I think, fit for me. And actually the management, the IT management team that I work in at the moment is nearly 50-50 male, female, which is unusual as mm. well. So yeah, so I balanced through the scales, saw the, I guess, the opportunity to learn and, and took a calculated risk. And, and if I'm honest and I look back on it now, 12 months later, and I look at some of the things that I would have done in my career prior to that versus some some of the, the pieces that are just coming naturally to me now and some of the work that I've done, I definitely have moved on from where I was and that can only be a good thing. So using that criteria as a judgment, it was the right decision for me to make. And, and certainly I think when I look back on it and I look back at some of the pivotal moments, maybe I'd say probably in a couple of years time, I'll be looking back at that kind of moving between the two organisations um, that's probably a key moment in and my career. The interesting part especially is because, you know, I've recruited for a lot of financial sector clients and a lot of clients tend to, well, it's changing now, but in the past, a lot of people tend to look at candidates from financial sector or technology, you know, being the closest. Retail to financial sector is unheard of. Yeah. And... Were there some steep learning curve at the start or do you think, because personally I see security as something that's very transferable. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I think I think people like me are becoming more common. And I think part of that is because the industry is, I mean, there's such a, a shortage of people to fill roles, right? So people are having to compromise on the type of candidates mm-hmm. um, not really compromised there. Well, they're looking at different skills looking at different skills yeah you're right I guess what I mean is we all when we're hiring we say I want somebody or certainly we used to say I want someone that basically can come in and just do the job and part of that means understanding the sector um, and understanding the nuances within it and um, I like obviously the regulation is significantly different in some ways that makes my job a little easier or should um, mm-hmm. in that retail doesn't have that level of regulation so when you're trying to put in a lot of processes and things um, being able to say very clearly well this is a regulatory obligation makes stops any debate right um, so it, in one sense I thought it might make it easier um, in the other yeah the, it, it has been a massive learning curve um, even with the different type of people that I'm working with um, the it's across whilst in Primark uh, we it, it was a global organization with you know and I think they're in 12 or 13 different countries now at this stage but a lot of the management was central centralized around Ireland and the UK you know it was a smaller management side whereas I'm doing a lot of work in Germany and Belgium at the moment and, and actually working through the regulation and understanding the local employment law and everything that goes along with that. Yeah, it, it has been a really steep learning curve. And um, also being part of building, particularly in the role that I was in, like I was building a centralized team from scratch. So that was a massive learning curve as well, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it has been. But equally, the fundamentals of security are the same. You know, the the under whilst we have the regulator, the underlying um, frameworks and the ISOs, they're all the same. So they're all just built on like they're all built on the same framework. So it's just the level that you take those to. Um, there's definitely a lot more um, reporting and governance in, fin- in the financial sector. But in, in like I already said, it was probably a bigger learning curve for me being like I 
going from the role that I was in to actually being the CISO in an organization and being, well, actually, you're the person. And I, I think that was probably a bigger learning curve and, and probably would have been the same even if I was moving within retail. Do you That's, know? So two questions for you here. One is on building a team because essentially it was pretty much Greenfield and you had to build a team around you. Right. What was the strategy that you used and what did you look for in hiring? Yeah, so what what we had was um, Athora had purchased a, a number of entities and, and within those entities, there were some security people. Um, but as a group function, we didn't have, you know, when I was coming in, we had a couple of roles to fill. So um, I was lucky enough now one of the employees from one of the entities um, came in to join my team straight away, which was lucky because they had some of the background. But yeah. I had to very quickly. So I joined at the end of July, having limited insurance experience, although I had been doing my homework now, to be mm-hmm. honest, for a few months before <laughs> um, when I was successful in the role. But from that time to, I think it was November, by November, my security strategy was being audited to make sure that it was appropriate. So I had a few months to get up to speed with what was going on in the organization who was who and where were we from a maturity point of view what was our technology strategy what was people you know trying to just understand the business but then also formulate a security strategy which covered i guess the technology the process the people building out the functions and getting that to a point where it was would have been signed off so I'm also a big believer in like we need to if you're at a three and you want to get to a five, you don't build something and say, well, I'm at a three and this is how I get to five in 12 months. You kind of do it incrementally. So I tried to take a very realistic approach as to how many people I could manage initially like and and that isn't always just bringing in tens you know it's not about just building out your team really quickly it's about getting the right number of people and the right skill set and understanding the three or four critical areas that need to be covered and and spending time on getting the right people for each of those roles but yeah so it was about taking a really structured approach to understanding what were I always say this and I probably shouldn't. It's what are the things that will get me sacked? You know, so we work in an area where rightly or wrongly or fortunately or unfortunately, it's accepted by and large that things can happen. Um, Where the issue comes is when things happen that shouldn't have happened because someone didn't do the basics, right? So if someone comes in and does an elaborate hack on your organisation and you know, a really sophisticated malware or whatever. Okay, I'm not saying that would be okay, but you can justify how it happened. But if the real basics are broken and something happens, that won't be okay. And nor should it be, particularly when you're dealing with people's, you know, people's information. Um, There's kind of the obligation there to treat it with the respect. So, um, yeah, that's one of the questions I ask myself a lot. Like, (laughs) if if I do, and and part of that's working with the teams as well to understand, you know, we don't need to be a five in this area. Like, we're putting, like, double locks and, and extra sensors sometimes on the window, and we don't even have a proper lock on the front door. So we just need to be... We just need to be careful. And that's kind of the approach I, I guess I took. And the other question I had on this was when you moved into Athara, you said it was in some ways a promotion as well into a CISO because you weren't a CISO in the previous role. And, you know, this, this question might be for a lot of people who are currently in a sort of head of function, but they're not yet a CISO. They want to get into, they're, they're looking for the next step up. You know, what do you think in the last few years of your career, um, what did you do in preparation for moving into a CISO or what's a learning that you've taken on in the last 12 months? Oh, interesting. Um, I'm not sure anything fully prepares you (laughs) would be Mm -hmm. the first piece, but I guess it's about, and, and this isn't about teaching people how to suck eggs either. In order to be able to do the role, you need to really understand what's important. 
because and to understand that you're taking accountability for that. So sometimes I find in the past security has been seen to be the department um, where it's, you know, we think you should do X, but, you know, hands off. That's up to you. If you choose to do X, Y or Z, well, that's up to you. We've we've said you should do X. So certainly something that I would have been pushing is that that's not in my view that's not the role of security anymore and and I don't even know ultimately if we'll have separate security departments as as we move forward because it really needs to be across everything um, as opposed to a separate area um, but I very much be of the view and and in my previous role then of we're actually accountable if something goes wrong so we need to be owning the recommendation and owning it with a view of how is this actually going to affect the business? Like, is this workable? Because we have a bad reputation of saying, oh, you need to do X, Y and Z. And when people ask the question, well, what risk are you actually trying to address? Um, it, it can become a little bit detached. So very much to answer your question, um, probably quite badly. It, it For me, it has been building that, um, I guess, attitude and experience of taking a security issue, understanding the business. And I used to work in IT operations, right? So I can tangibly understand what the end user issue might be or what the operational issue may be, making that recommendation and then standing over it. And sometimes that's saying, actually, if we look at all of the frameworks or we look at the CIS, you know, recommendations and controls, we should be doing X, Y, and Z. Um, and sometimes that's saying, well, actually, that won't work for our business. You know, we've got other mitigations in place or whatever, but being able to take accountability for that. And equally, it's about being able to get really comfortable. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly more comfortable with doing it now. Um, but in my, my previous role, probably got more comfortable with it around being able to say, well, actually, no, this is a red line. And know you and being able to to have that conversation with very senior people and and stop certain things um and that for me is the difference because when you're when you're fully accountable, you need to be able to to understand when you need to move forward from the business and when you have to advise the business that actually no this is a red line you can't move forward on this because th- that's the thing that will get you sacked <laughs> you know and um I was just thinking about this. Start of the podcast, you mentioned that you've got a legal background, right? Mm-hmm. Then you went into engineering, core planning, and all, which couldn't be more different mm-hmm. from sales, well, into engineering. And then you went from retail to financial sector, which again, it's one of those unthinkable until we've seen you do it. Do you think, you know, and that itself makes you different, right? That you had to be yourself to be able to achieve all of this. What do you think is the significance of having a strong identity? Because a lot of times what happens is, especially, and, and it's quite common, we can't blame people. I think I might have been guilty of it, where you go into a new environment, you just want to blend in and be as everyone else is. You know, the importance of sticking to who you are. How, do you think that's helped you as well with your career? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's very easy to to kind of blend in right um and i probably did at the start and i don't think that's a bad thing either like I, i'm not to, like you need to do the groundwork sometimes right and you mm-hmm. need to build up the experience but then you do also need to become more comfortable with just being yourself um and and certainly the move between the two roles um like the the irony of it i when i was moving from like the culture within the financial services or, or certainly my experience with it and the culture between retail and my experience in that is is limited to the organizations that i worked in but certainly i know even from moving <laughs> i'm laughing like before i started my new role and i know people are going to hear this actually which is why i'm laughing um like i thought i can't possibly wear what i wore to work <laughs> um in you know, in a fashion retailer, sure. which encouraged, yeah. you know, expression, like expression and, and everything. And um, it was all about fashion, really, not, a, you know, like what mm. you were wearing. It was it was fashionable um, to moving into the financial services. So, yeah, I spent a day in time <laughs> and I bought and I bought these suits that I think I have since worn once. <laughs> Because, <laughs> yeah, after like I saw, suddenly find myself in the first couple of weeks just wearing like 
blacks and browns and like really dark colours and that's not me like mm. I'm wearing a bright pink jumper at the minute um, so yeah I kind of probably slipped a little bit mm-hmm. back into oh you know kind of blending in and then I was like no this mm. isn't who I am it's not it's not what I'm about just kind of not that I'm like um, extravagant or mm. anything but I think yeah you you need to be yourself you need to own it you need to be prepared to stand out not for the sake of it right Um but you do need to be able to to have your own identity so people know what they're dealing with um, and you can it's, it's, and it's, I don't mean in an aggressive in any shape or form but like it, you just need to be yourself because like I got to where I am um, and I still have long ways to go <laughs> but I got to where I am because of me okay mm-hmm. you might hide behind certain things and whatever else but it's based on you so if it's good enough to kind of get you to where you are then you should you should own that. Um, and of course, we all at times, depending on the audience, need to curtail what we're saying or how we say it. And how I speak to my mum certainly is very different <laughs> than I speak to my friends. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And how you speak to people in work and, and how you conduct yourself. But yeah, no, I think having your own identity and being able to be comfortable in who you are and understanding what's OK, what's not OK. Um, I've been able to call people out, you know, if something isn't okay, I think is important um, and support other people in that and so that people can see that um, because, yeah, we all have a, a responsibility to check some of that as well. Um, but I do think to to be really successful, you need to be like if if you if you don't have your own identity and you're constantly conforming, I think you were saying earlier, I um, can't remember if it was before we recorded or not, but uh, like you work with people eight hours a day at mm-hmm. least and, and sometimes more if you're pretending to be somebody else the whole time like that's oh, not know. gonna yeah they they know you you can't really build a proper relationship of trust with mm-hmm. people if you're not yourself and um, yeah okay there'll be people you get on with people you don't and you you know that's fine but yeah having a self having your own self identity and understanding what that is and your brand even like who are you what is it that you're so for me, you know, what is it that I want people to think and feel when I'm talking to them as well? And, you know, um, I, I definitely think that that's part of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's important or, or rather it's easy to forget that people are hired for who they are. Yes, sure. You know, the, the hiring manager, your reporting manager looks for um, certain skill sets, certain experiences that people have. But ultimately, if you put two candidates with the exact same kind of experience, we're going to go for the one with the personality. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? And, and it's so funny because I think back to when I moved companies or when I moved from Singapore over here, you know, the first few weeks, I suppose it's everything's new, you're trying to impress or you want to put on your best self, but ultimately you're not trying to be someone else. You you want to be your best self, but also bring who you are. So you introduce who Kira is, who Leaf and I, I am to the team, so people know you and they come to appreciate you for who you are. Exactly. No, you're completely right. So if, God, I'm going to harp back now to something. Back <laughs> um, years ago, now, mm-hmm. a long time ago when I was still at university, I would have done... Um, some cross community work, a lot of cross community work, and I remember we we were doing a particular um uh, project that was being run, and the I remember we had to interview people because there was only limited spaces, and actually one of the guys that was interviewing me was it was like yeah when after we'd finished interviewing any, everyone it was like yeah when you come to interviews you know it's about wearing the bright colours it's about doing something that makes mm-hmm. you memorable um, now that was a bit flippant with him about the clothes but actually yeah it's about remembering people and when you asked me earlier about building the team and I looked at some of the people that I've been interviewing and like I'm lucky I have some really good people that are working with me and um when I'm when I'm meeting different individuals, it's about like they all have different skill sets, and it's about building that team so that they can all complement each other. Because the last thing I need is four or five people reporting into me that think and do what this very same way that I do. Right? Mm-hmm. I need them to be different. I need them to bring something else, mm-hmm. um, and they do, and they challenge me. And but that's that's what's important, you know, um, when you're building a strong team. And that's um, how you grow. Exactly. Together. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, for me, if I look at a successful team, I want people to work. I say with me, but like within my team, um, 
because they know it's a successful area because they know that there will be opportunities for them to progress like I think that's important I know some people they see people sometimes as a as a threat to them whereas like I, I, I think it's really important that we build our teams that we encourage them that we give them the credit that we sponsor them and mm-hmm. and certainly if I look through my career I have been actively sponsored by a few people throughout that different mm-hmm. people at different times um, and that has definitely helped me because there's I mean there's a, a massive difference between that sponsorship and mentorship mm-hmm. and you've been so busy especially I think in the last 12 months with you know a new job a new team and traveling etc how do you manage all of this outside of work what helps you to keep sane um <laughs> so so for me it's exercise right um now I probably, well, not I probably, I haven't in that 12 month period, something has to give, right? So you do have to, um, you have to put your all in and you don't, I didn't have the time to do, like I would have gone to the gym five days a week and been running and everything. So that all just kind of went to the wayside. So I think it was last year, I, I used to like do a lot of running as well. I've run a few marathons and um, last year the Dublin Marathon was going past my house and I just went, oh, I just need to get back mm-hmm. on top of this because you need something to de-stress. Everybody needs something. You need something that can distract you. Um, so at the minute now, yeah, I am, I'm training for actually the Dublin Marathon but also the Bruges Marathon which Athor is sponsoring. Mm. So there's a few of us going going over from work and um, from some of the different entities to uh, to run it. Yeah, so that's what I kind of do to de-stress, but um over the years I've always kind of done something so if it's not training then it's a a course so like I was doing my masters um did New York bar and more recently I was actually going to do a forensics in criminology diploma. At, wow. at one at DC or whatever just in the evening and then I thought no that's just too much of a commitment at least with the running you can you can you know you can you can build around it your schedule around that but yes that's what I do do you zone out when you run because well for the record I hate running really <laughs> I honestly like when when I was in school I was part of the track and field team so we would train three to four times a week before training the warm-up would be running Every single time I did it, I hated it, you know. Really? Yeah. Uh, I I love it tonight, to be honest. I find it. Now, sometimes it depends. Like, I went out yesterday to do things running for like an hour and a half or whatever. An hour and a half? Yeah. And that's only the start <laughs> of the training now. No that's way. only the start of it, yeah. And um, 12 more weeks to go. But, uh, so I find, I zone out sometimes, but I usually start my runs. And particularly if I'm doing something a bit longer. So, um, and by longer, like I don't mean massive, I mean like a 10k or whatever. I find it's a really great way to kind of process some things that have maybe happened at work or um, even your personal life. Like like we always talk about work, but there's always something going on in somebody's life. There's always lots of different things. Um, so I just find it it's a really good time for me to get space to kind of process all of that, go through whatever different scenarios decide how to deal with it and then by the time you kind of get home or it is time to kind of relax I can relax because I've processed everything that I've needed to process and I think in any job I want to say particularly in security but I don't think it is I think in any job where it's not a clock in and clock out and I don't know any job Mm. that is clock in clock out anymore and but in any job I think we all need to find a way a coping mechanism so for me that's running for you it's not right cooking (laughs) (laughs) but cooking but you know what I mean so it's Mm. not about picking the thing that like it's not about doing something that's going to make you feel more stressed (laughs) or something that you're not going to look forward to going to do so yeah no I think people need you need to find something um and I, I encourage that to be something healthy as well, you know, mm-hmm. just because... Not drinking. <laughs> not, well, yeah, that's where I was going, you know, because not necessarily a good coping mechanism anyway, but I think to be successful in any career um, and be really successful, you need to be able to deal with stress. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it will just get on top of you. You need mm-hmm. to be able to process things um, because if you don't, you become emotional. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing a course before and they used to talk about your marbles and like, you know, you have seven marbles and, you know, when you're fully in control, it's like seven times, seven times, whatever way it worked out. But basically you see lots of different options, but the more emotional you become, the tired you become, the more angry you become, 
you start to become very tunneled visioned mm-hmm. um, and then that really impacts on your decision making ability how you interact with other people and that ultimately will damage someone's career potentially you know if, sure. if that's how you're reacting and interacting with people because I think the days have moved on now mm-hmm. um, years ago it used to be a very leadership style I think 10 years ago when I I was going to say first started my career but it was definitely more than 10 years ago <laughs> um, but the leadership style that would have been in place at that point versus what is the accepted now is so different like mm-hmm. you have to be able to deal with people so you need to find a way to deal with your stress and if you don't have that now you, you, some people need to figure out what that coping mechanism is and it brings back to I suppose your point on having a safe environment if you have a safe environment you would be you would feel a lot more comfortable in voicing out you know what are your troubles what are your concerns you know and and get help in in that sense right yeah and i suppose as closing um what are you excited about for the next 12 months oh interesting so um what am i excited about so I'm excited to to do the marathons. It's the first thing I'll say because, mm-hmm. yeah, once that training's over, it will be good. Um, but also, like like I say, the last twelve months have been for me a great learning curve. Um, like I've got to know a different industry, working with some great people. Um, I've got to formulate something from scratch, and like I'm, you know, I'm able to see how that's progressing. The next 12 months now are going to be a complete new, not a complete new chapter, but obviously, um, Athora has, has recently announced the purchase, um, waiting on a formal close now of a insurance organization in the Netherlands. Um, so yeah, to be able to, like, I think that's going to be really exciting from a career point of view as well, you know, getting to know people within the organization, um, and, and how we all interact with each other. So yeah, for, for me, it's really just, continuing on the journey for the next 12 months with with Athora and understanding what that's going to look like and what other opportunities that's going to bring um, and present itself from and when I say opportunities I don't mean new roles I mean like different experiences Mm -hmm. and my ability to 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 build out my skill set further um and then probably a nice holiday (laughs) oh I would recommend I'm heading to Albania in October I will let you know but you know like I love traveling, so my colleagues know that I travel almost once a month, and I used to do a lot of city breaks. But after a while, you're just thinking, well, it's no different from being in Dublin or in Singapore, where you're just looking at buildings, really. (laughs) So now I'm really seeking out places that are just, well, less traveled. Um, Portugal and Spain, I've been there, I like it, but I don't feel like I'm away from Ireland. You know, so yeah, just somewhere completely different. Exactly. Yeah. Again, a new experience completely. Yeah, it's kind of what you're looking for. But Kira, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Women in Security podcast, brought to you by Morgan McKinley. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. My name is Leif and Tan, and we'll chat soon.